Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Before we dive into the movies that we watched this week, we just want to shout out again that as of recording this, it's a very exciting day for us because we dropped our first daddy deep dive, which is a spoiler filled episode where we deep dive on some of our favorite movies. And in this case, the inaugural episode we're talking about our new favorite movie, After Sun. And it was a great conversation full of tears and personal stories and really uh, insightful. <laughs> wow. You're really selling it. Yeah. And a, a really in-depth look at After Sun and... And what how, it means to be a dad. Yeah. And how important it is to us and our buddy Ashley, who joined us on the episode. Um, so, Yeah. We, we encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, or if you haven't seen After Sun yet, go see After Sun. Then come back and listen to our Daddy Deep Dive, because we're very proud of it and very stoked to be adding this new iteration of the show to the lineup. They'll, they'll be very sporadic, but we still think it's pretty cool. Let's get into the movies that we watched this week. <laughs> nice. So we kicked off the week with a mystery movie pick from yours truly. And Are you yours truly? That's right. Oh, what am I? Uh, mine truly. Oh, wow. <laughs> I reject all of this, just for the record. <laughs> uh, I chose the 1984 crime drama thriller, Blood Simple. It was directed by Joel Cohen and uncredited, uncredited directed by Ethan Cohen. I think this, this happens a lot with Cohen Brothers movies where everyone's like, oh, that's a Cohen Brothers movie. But no, it, it's a Joel Cohen uncredited Ethan Cohen movie. Yeah. I feel like a few of their movies have an uncredited title to one of the brothers. And I don't know. I always thought that was kind of funny. But it's written by both of them as well. It stars John Getz as Ray, Francis McDormand as Abby, Dan Hedaya as Julian, and M. Emmett Walsh as private detective Lauren Visser. Uh, the synopsis is... 
The owner of a seedy small town Texas bar discovers that one of his employees is having an affair with his wife. And a chaotic chain of misunderstandings, lies, and mischief ensues after he devises a plot to have them murdered. Whoa. What do you think of Blood Simple? (laughs) I was really tired when we watched this. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Like, nobody else can see what I just did. But I kind of had one eye closed. I was like trying to keep my other eye open for mm. most of it. Um, so I don't know that I have the most objective point of view on this film. <laughs> okay. Also, okay. the audio was terrible. Yeah. We watched it on Criterion Channel. And it sounded like a tin can. Yeah. We had to crank it. And even then it just, it wasn't immersive in sound. I don't know if that's just the quality of the film since it was a first film and it's from the eighties or if criterion channel just doesn't have good sound for that particular film. Cause we've watched lots of movies on criterion channel and they've been fine, but I was, yeah, I was very tired. The audio was really bad and it's a pretty slow movie. Yeah. I will say, I don't think it's my favorite Coen brothers movie. Mm-hmm. What did you, what did you think of it? What, what I'm curious, what, why is it not your favorite? Like what didn't hit the mark for you in this? So I think that, I tend to like Coen Brothers movies that are comedy first, darkness second, mm, okay. more than I like darkness first, comedy second. Right. So like I like The Big Lebowski and Fargo the best of what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I remember really liking Burn After Reading, but I've only seen it once and it was when it came out in theaters. Um, I really appreciate No Country for Old Men, but I don't want to watch that very often. Yeah. Like I really just, don't and I know we've seen a serious man and I don't remember being particularly enamored with that and I think that one's more drama Mm -hmm. so this one is very very much like crime drama with a little tiny bit of comedy yeah and I just think in general that's not what I'm what I gravitate towards more in the films that they have made yeah and I kind of feel like this is this is pretty harsh, but I, I can't think of a better way to describe it is that it's kind of a bit of a lesser in between of No Country for Old Men and Fargo. Like it's kind of you can see the early stages of them getting to those films that yeah. are a little bit they're they're crafted a little bit better. What? <laughs> just the the hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> they're just crafted a little bit better. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I get it. You need to start somewhere. And they started here and it brought them to making their iconic films like the ones that you just mentioned. So Some people love this movie, though. I, I mean, I get it. Like it's especially seeing it when it first came out. And like the trailer is also really intense, more intense than the movie <laughs> is intense. <laughs> so I could totally see why if you were seeing this, especially when it first came out in 1984, just being like blown away by the the twists and turns that the that the movie takes. Well, I also think I'm going to just keep harping on this Criterion Channel, but it could be a problem of the film. If the audio had been better and I had been less sleepy, I think I would have been able to be engaged in it more because hmm. I do like a slow film. But when there's other things pulling my attention away, like being tired or like not being able to stay focused on the film because it's quieter than like everything else going on in my house. Mm -hmm. Not that there's really anything else going on in my house, but like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just the ambient noises of my house are louder than the film, even with the film cranked. Right. Um, 
had I had the audio been better and I'd been less tired, there's a degree to which I love the yes end of this film. Yeah. Coen Brothers are great with that. So good. And you see that here, right? Like the, oh my goodness, is this really happening? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think that's done really well. Mm-hmm. And seeing baby Frances McDormand, she's so little. So baby. She's so baby. <laughs> was cool. It was really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of these kind of little gripes aside, like I still found the film to be really stressful. Like, oh, yeah, I was just kind of on the edge of my seat throughout the whole thing because I wasn't I I didn't know anything about this film really going in other than it was kind of regarded as this, you know, really great Coen Brothers film. And it's in the Criterion Collection. So must be good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, the story was really compelling and and intense. And it had like this very it had this very engaging aspect to it that the Coen brothers do in all of their films where you're kind of, as the mysteries unraveling and in a lot of cases in Coen brothers movies, like very kind of like sloppily, like things are kind of revealed because our characters are kind of idiots a little bit. (laughs) Um, but I like that. That's the charm of their films. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. Um, when I was kind of looking up on, on this film a little bit, there's, kind of motifs that reoccur throughout all of Coen Brothers movies mm. and all three of which appear here, which are ringing, ringing phones, like single shots of phones that are ringing, hotel rooms, and shocking crescendos. Meaning at the end of the film, there's always like a that goes like yeah. <laughs> straight up. I did really like the ending. Yeah. I love the ending. I love the ending, but it took a little while to get there. And again, I to, to the degree of which my state of mind being tired on a Monday night played into this. I don't know, but I just didn't feel as interested in the characters. I didn't feel as interested in the like, oh, these people had an affair and then this guy wants to kill them. Like I just. Yeah, I mean, wasn't as enamored with that as I am with, you know, a hippie bowling guy who just has a mistaken (laughs) identity and just wants his rug back where I am with you know, somebody who finds a bunch of money and wants to keep it. Like, the, like there's, those motivations, I think, are a little more interesting to me mm-hmm. than somebody cheated and somebody wants them killed. Like, I just didn't mm-hmm. find Ray, Abby, or Julian that interesting. No, I agree. And, you know, comparing it, probably because we're just hot off the heels of having just rewatched No Country for Old Men... I found the characters in that the characters in that stick with me more mm-hmm. than any of these characters. I mean, I I think outside of actually looking them up, I probably won't remember the character names or much about them. And I think that's because there's more time spent in these other movies developing character. Like we kind of get mm-hmm. right into it at the beginning of this film, yeah, without getting to know the characters, which is something I struggle with in film in general. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another film this week where that's going to be my same gripe that like the film can be as great as it can be. But for me personally, if I don't know the characters, the film will be forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. Just for me, that's not the case for everyone. No, it's totally true. I think that, yeah, like you're saying, our favorite stuff is all character driven and really interesting, complex characters that aren't, yeah. that aren't necessarily just one thing all yeah. the time. Whereas this seems very, very plot driven. Mm-hmm. 
And I think they take the Coen brothers take what they do really well with plot here. Yeah. And then merge it with characters later. Like the big Lebowski. Yes. Is plot, but it is so much about the dude. No. Yeah. Like without the dude, that movie isn't what it is. No. And that's what I love about it. I just love that character. I, I love all the characters. I love John Goodman. I love poor Steve Buscemi. He's just like trying to be a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Keeps getting yelled at, you know, like there's just so much compelling about the characters in that. And these characters seemed a little bit more one note, thinly drawn yeah. um, to exist in service of the plot. But the plot is quite engaging. Yeah, that's well said. Also, like I can totally see if this were made later that the M. Emmett Walsh character totally being played by John Goodman. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. You see that um, type of character that kind of exists throughout their films mm -hmm. in that character. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think we kind of get hints of it in Barton Fink. Mm -hmm. um, again, yeah. Again, another film in hotel rooms. <laughs> and one that we didn't like as much. Yeah. Yeah, Which I, is, I think, more serious first, comedy second. But I think that, you know, on reflecting on that, I think that it's pretty cool that the Coen brothers, they definitely have a vibe and mm -hmm. things that they're really good at. Like there's kind of the well-known Coen, brother, Coen brothers isms that exist across their films. But they also, they genre span well enough that I feel like Blood Simple could be somebody's favorite film. Mm -hmm. no, no Country could be. People could gravitate more towards the like Raising Arizona, Fargo, Burn After Reading sort of vibe. So I think that it's kind of cool that their films can span yeah, those. Raising you know? Arizona. I love Raising Arizona. I know you do. Yeah. So, so, but that's what I mean. I, I seem to be drawn more to the, so I'm just looking at their um, uh, film catalog here. Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. Is another, and then that one leans more funny. I haven't seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou. That one leans real funny. Really? I'd probably like it. I haven't seen True Grit. I haven't seen Hail Caesar. Yeah. And then we haven't seen Miller's Crossing. I have seen The Lady Killers. <laughs> I don't remember it being good. So we haven't seen all of them, but just looking at them, I tend to really, really like the, the hyper silly ones. Like I love Raising Arizona. Um, yeah. I love The Big Lebowski. We've watched a few Coen Brothers films this year and I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of taken with them right now. Like I kind of would like to throw in a Coen Brothers film that we have seen, you know, I'd like to revisit, revisit Fargo and Burn After Reading. Um, but I'd also like to see some of the, some of the ones that you mentioned that we haven't seen yet, just out of curiosity because of what, because of what I mentioned of just, I think that they play really well in genre mm -hmm. and kind of have a lock on what they, what genres they like to tell stories in. And I think that's really fun. And like true grit is like a Western. So it's like, what's their take Ugh. on that? What is Oh brother? Where art thou? Isn't it based it's, on something? Mm, I'm not sure, but it's like set in the South. George Clooney's in it. I feel oh, like, Oh, it's a modern satire loosely based on Homer's the Odyssey. I love the Odyssey. Well, there you go. Hey, I might like that movie. Yeah, we should give it a go. I would like to point out we are not a Coen Brothers podcast. <laughs> so if this is your first episode. It, it's not all this. <laughs> we're not going to exclusively watch Coen Brothers movies. Just um, Elliot, as you consider your mystery picks moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
exclusively Coen Brothers. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to add about Blood Simple. Like, I'm really glad that we watched it, and you know, all of the circumstances of being tired and the and the poor the poor sound design. Uh, I don't know that it's sound design. Maybe the Criterion Criterion Channel. Whatever the sound mixing issue created an issue for us. Don't know where on who's. I don't know who to point the finger at, but somebody. There's a finger. There's a, being pointed. There's a finger out there in the ether, and it's wagging at somebody. <laughs> it needs to find its target. <laughs> um. But yeah, how did Blood Simple make you feel? So it made me feel like I wish I had seen it a long time ago mm. before I knew as much of the Coen Brothers catalog and Frances McDormand's catalog as I do. Right. Because. She's fine in this. Yeah. But she's great in so many other things. Yeah, I think I said at the end, it's just like, man, it's kind of wild seeing her here when we've seen her poop in a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> but she's just, she's been in so many things where she's such a force. Yeah. And that's not really who she is here. So yeah, I kind of, I know you already said this, but I feel like if I had seen it when I was younger or seen it just before I had seen as many Coen brothers as I have, because I didn't even see Fargo until I was... 1819. Yeah, same. Um, I think that I would have been quite taken with this. Yeah. But just in having seen so much and love so much already, I was like, yeah, it's good. I see where some of the films I love so much originated from. Yeah. I I, I agree with all of that. I mean, it it did it it gave me that stressful feeling. I was engaged. I was kind of also flabbergasted as to all the things that were kind of unfolding. But yeah, it just kind of made me wish I had seen it earlier in my life um but it also made me feel really grateful that it was the first kind of stepping stone to get to some of the bigger um and better in my opinion coen brothers films that came later Mm. all right cool we went to the movie theater for the next one we did what do we see i'm so excited to talk about this we saw the banshees of inisherin just came out 2022 it's a comedy slash drama and it really is a comedy slash drama yeah uh, directed and written by Martin McDonough. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and starring <laughs> Colin Farrell as Patrick Sullivan. <laughs> These are all very Irish names. <laughs> well, I should have looked it up. Patrick, pa- though. Uh, Brendan Gleeson as Combe Doherty. Carrie Condon as Siobhan Sullivan. Just go first, Davis Bay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Siobhan, Patrick's sister. And Barry Keoghan as Dominic Kearney. Gorgeous. Thank you so much. Chef's kiss. Don't even need to do the second run through of those. No, let's not. <laughs> I looked them all up and I'm still struggling. Um, so this film is about two lifelong friends. We talk about life for a long time. No, uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's right. <Rhett> Link. <laughs> that's right. Link. Two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both. The trailer for this film is so good. So good. I sometimes just watch it. I've shown it to two students already. But do you know why the trailer's so good? It's because the plot is so simple. Yes. And you get exactly that from the plot. There's a part of me that like wishes I hadn't seen the trailer because there's some really good jokes. And I think the trailer doesn't give too much away, but like I already had seen the jokes a lot and yeah. it would have been fun to see them for the first time there. But uh, I like watching the trailer because it's quite good. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, The Banshees have been a Sheeran. What did you think? Okay. This will be the first of two films that we saw in the theater where we had a unique audience experience. Unique's a good way to put that. Uh, and it's 
I think we're going to end this with a question for you, our audience, of what do you think about this? Is So we went to see it, and this is one of those films, we went to see it on Cheap Tuesday, and films like this tend to draw a very, what I call a King's Speech crowd. <laughs> so it's typically kind of like older folks, primarily older ladies, that want to go see like a, a nice period piece thing. There's two older man buddies heading into the theater for the second showing as we were leaving. Cute. Yeah. yeah. So just the older folks draw these kind of films have. Um, Why do you think that is for this movie though? Period piece. Oh, but they don't know. Sorry, this is a, this that, that was rude how I said that. Many of the folks who go see this who are drawn to it because it's a period piece don't necessarily understand what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. The, one of the greatest is when we went and saw Yorgos Lanthimos is the favorite. The, the favorite. Yeah. And he, if, if you know his filmography, he's wild. We talked about him when we, when we talked about the lobster, but he, he has made just some very bizarre films. That's his yeah. vibe. And we love it. We're here for that. But when you have a bunch of, <laughs> of older folks that are showing up expecting the King's speech or, Anna Karenina, or <laughs> Anna Karenina. you're just pulling things out of your ass, or Pride and Preggie, or Pride and Preggie, and, Pride and <laughs> but you show up and you get the favorite. It's a little unexpected. Yeah, this literally happened with my sister took my mom and my mom's closest friend to it, and my sister didn't know, or she wouldn't have. My mom was aghast, and now she hates Olivia Coleman. Oh, no. <laughs> like, she's like, I don't like that season of The Crown that Olivia Coleman's in. But she doesn't say Olivia Coleman. She says, like, that person from The Favorite. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So that there was some of that crowd there. Yes. Sp- and specifically, two folks right in front of us. There was what I think the dynamic was an older woman who I think was a grandmother and then, or an older mother and a daughter. And the grandmother... Well, like, we gotta say 70s, 80s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, creeping towards the grave. Babe, that is so rude! <laughs> what if they listen to her show? <laughs> well, then, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You need to shut the fuck up in the movies. <laughs> the They were just, like, the daughter would say something, and then the old lady would go, Huh? And then they would proceed to talk at full volume. Full volume throughout the whole film. And it is a quiet movie. Very quiet. And when it's interrupted with, huh? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And a lot of banshee. (laughs) (laughs) That's a banshee. (laughs) Shut the the fuck up. (laughs) So my question was, because I will, foreshadowing. Yeah. I will give someone the business about speaking in a movie, being on the phone in a movie, whatever it may be. I, I will speak to them about it. And, I, and I'm doing that more and more frequently. But I didn't in this case. My question to all of you is, is it rude to tell old ladies to shut up? <laughs> that's the name, it was, it, that's the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was their age that stopped me. Where I was like, eh, I'm, and they seem like maybe they're Irish. So like, I don't know, maybe this is really meaningful for them. I don't know, man. But it's meaningful for me too. It's it is a good movie. You really, you really suck in the air out of the room and out of my good time here. Yeah, it's just like 
I mean, I get it, but there's just movie theater etiquette that has been around since the beginning of movie theaters where you just... A lot of time. You just gotta... You gotta shush it. Yeah. And be respectful of the other patrons around you. And it's not like you can never talk. Every once in a while, I really need to point something out or I'll forget to point it out. Yeah. But you gently lean over, get really close to someone's ear and whisper it as quietly as you can. And then you give them a little kiss on the earlobe and then you go and then away. You're, and then you're out. Yeah. And you try to do that <laughs> fewer than five times for every two hours of a movie. Oh, I didn't realize there was a five-time limit. That's yeah, good there to is. know. Yeah. So ideally, once or twice in an entire movie, preferably no times. But every once in a while, there's just something really important one needs to say. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know what? It's okay if it's nonverbal. We saw this movie with our very good friends, Ashley and Perry, who have a border collie. Yeah. Named Goose. Yeah. And there was a border collie not named Goose in the movie. (laughs) Every time the border collie was on the screen, the two of them would look at each other. (laughs) (laughs) Which... I fully support and endorse because anytime we see a Siamese cat on anything anywhere, we can be like walking down an aisle in Superstore and there's a kitty litter box that has a Siamese cat on it. And we just stop and go, oh, really a cat in anything. There's like this not super great looking movie coming out called The Man Named Otto with America's dad, Tom Hanks. And there's a couple scenes with cats in it. We're like, might need to see that movie. Did you know it's a remake of an international film? No. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that I probably could have parsed that out because the name of the book is... A Man Called Ove. Yeah, yeah. And that, there's a movie called that. That is well-liked, so... Okay. Anyway, let us know your opinion on... Is it rude to tell old ladies to shut up? Exactly. But aside from that, I loved this movie. Yeah, I loved this movie. I was really excited. You know what? And I think I downplayed my excitement for it because we we saw that it was coming and it was kind of in a limited release and we're like, oh, we'll wait. We'll wait till it's, you know, maybe it comes to Metro or maybe when it comes out later on a streamer or whatever. But as I rewatched the trailer and as it started getting a wider and wider release and then the day came that we were going to go see it and I think I said to you before we left left the house, I'm like, I'm actually really excited for this movie tonight. We also have been on a real Colin Farrell journey since after Yang. Well, and now it's a quest to make him your most watched actor over top of. So he's uh, now with this Casey film, Affleck. he has tied Casey Affleck. If I can watch at least one more Colin Farrell movie, he will surpass, surpass, surpass Casey Affleck, which I need to happen. Mm hmm. And then I need you to not accidentally give me another Casey Affleck film. I can't promise that, but I will help you on your Colin Farrell journey. Sounds great. Okay, let's talk about what we liked about with this movie because we are dancing. Yeah. <laughs> dancing around it. Tiptoeing through the tulips. We are. Um. Yeah, th- this is, you said it immediately after we saw the film and I agree with you. I feel like this is our type of humor. Yeah, this is my kind of humor to AT. I, I also like like absurdly silly humor or this, which is just like the driest, darkest mm-hmm. humor ever where some people would watch it and be like, that movie wasn't funny at all. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It was a laugh riot. Yeah. I've I laughed harder than I've laughed in a while at a film. But it's the this. kind of laugh where you're just like <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know, it's oh Colin Farrell in particular. It's really good. Almost every line with is just like so 
sad, confused look on his face, punctuated by these really thick eyebrows <laughs> that are doing the Lord's work in their <laughs> acting. Oh, it was so funny. Yeah. But also really sad. Yeah. Like you said at the beginning, I mean, this is this is billed as a comedy slash drama, and it is the most accurate representation of that. Mm-hmm. It is so funny. Like I said, one of the funniest films I've seen in a while, but it also just hit me like a brick. Um, like, you know what? Even from the opening scene that is in the trailer of Brendan Gleeson telling Colin Farrell's character that he doesn't want to be his friend anymore, the whole audience is kind of laughing when this is happening. But I start kind of getting welly in my chest and in my throat and then in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the stages of welliness. Yeah. Because um, I'm just like, this is heartbreaking. Like, if somebody said that to me, like, who I considered my closest friend, that would be such a devastating blow. And I would probably re- react the same way Colin Farrell does and just be like, why? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really get an explanation. And it's just like, Oh no. Well, I, th- I think that like cuts to the core of what so many of us, I would probably say most of us as humans, we don't want somebody to look at us and say, I don't like you. Yeah. Especially if we like them. Especially if they don't give you a reason. And it's, you know, and it said, it's one of my favorite lines in the movie when this conversation is happening and it's in the trailer. He just says, but you liked me yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think that's, so this movie I have read is quite a strong and smart allegory for the Irish civil war, mm-hmm. but I don't give a crap about history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds harsh. I'm just, you know, when they made us color maps and like label maps, I just didn't care in school. And the only maps I care about are the ones Karen O sings about. Agreed. So I'm sure it's really smart in that way. And I'm so happy for the people who love that about it. But for me, this movie was just about when someone else sets a boundary or makes a decision that you can't do anything about, mm-hmm. and yet you don't want that. It's like the microcosm of like someone doesn't want to go to the movies with you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like I have to respect that. But like, I really want you to come to the movies with me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so such a hard thing to square away. Like I have no control over what another person thinks or wants. Yeah. All I have control over is myself. Well, and like there's that push and pull, right? Of you want to respect what their wishes are, mm-hmm. but selfishly you're also like, but I, I want to say in this too, mm-hmm. like I, I, I don't want this. I, I still want to be your friend or I still, I still want to be there. And I think what this becomes so much about is the the not understanding, right? So mm-hmm. because there isn't like a big blowout that where the one person can be like, yeah, it makes sense. You don't want to be my friend anymore. I get it. Mm-hmm. That sucks. I'm sad about it, but like makes sense. It's so hard to let go because it's like, but I just don't get it. I just don't understand. And as someone who has been ghosted by their best friend, I deeply relate to that because mm-hmm. For like a solid year, I would say. It took me a while to realize I've been ghosted (laughs) because my friend was not the best, let's be honest, in retrospect, um, at answering text messages. I just wanted to understand. I'm like, okay, but like, can you just like, like, why? 
like, why aren't you answering me? Why don't you want to be my friend anymore? Like, like we've been friends for 13 years. We've lived together. We, you know, like we're, we're considered inseparable by most people. Like just why I don't get it. Why? Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that like drove me like to spirals was just, I just don't get why I just don't understand why, what did I do? What changed? What's going on? Like, just explain to me why now in this film, Comb does. It's just not an answer that makes any sense, which mm-hmm. is different from being ghosted where you're like, I literally have no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> what I came out of this this film feeling was really grateful that I've gone to therapy mm. and that I'm not Pedrick anymore. Right, yeah. That I like didn't go to such extreme lengths to try and understand or get my friend back that at the end of the day, I've been able to say, okay, well, I don't have any control over you all I have control over is the way that I deal with this situation. Um, yeah, never have I been more like, yes, therapy. Mm-hmm. Thank you, therapy. It's a really hard thing, though. Well, yeah, I mean, it just, and we see it in the film, too. It's just, you're trying to understand it from the other person's perspective, but it also makes you question yourself. Because mm-hmm. it's like, what have, have I changed? Did I do something? Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're kind of spiraling in your own mind and then you're trying to get other people's opinions and you can't accept that sometimes people just make a decision or change their mind and you have to just reckon with that Mm -hmm. and how difficult that is and and how hurtful that can be. And that, yeah, exactly. Therapy is kind of this, the solution to help you, get through that and they did not have therapy in initial and i don't think in the, in the 1920s <laughs> is that when it's set yeah oh really i thought yeah. it was older than that no i think oh. it's yeah 1920s um but yeah i think you know and the movie is it focuses on the relationship between colin farrell and brendan gleason who are incredible in this they're they're both they're both amazing so is the supporting cast. Oh, yeah. The supporting cast are such a unique batch of characters. But a standout for me is definitely Siobhan. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she's a character that is so well written and such a great supporting character to what, what's, his, what's Colin Farrell's character's name? Pedrick. Pedrick? It's like, like the Irish Patrick. Like, yeah. I just... And I feel like if this movie came out even like 20 years ago, I feel like we wouldn't have gotten such a well-fleshed-out character as her in a film like this. I feel like she would have been very kind of background noise. You know what I just discovered? What? She's the voice of Friday. Like in Iron Man? In Ultron, Civil War, and Homecoming, yes. Damn. Yeah. All right. And she was in three, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I wish she Oh, had, and Infinity War and Endgame. I wish she had the Irish accent, the thick Irish accent, like she does here. Yeah, maybe that's why we didn't recognize the voice, but um that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Um, another big standout in this is the gorgeous setting. Mm-hmm. And this and the cinematography that showcases the gorgeous setting. I don't know. I've always kind of been swept up in the imagery of Ireland and the landscapes and what it looks like. I think it's gorgeous. I'd love to visit there one day. 
and it's fully on display here. It gave me like East Coast Canada vibe, but not hundred percent. Like you've 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 been to like Far East Canada, and kind of seen like the along the ocean. I I think that being in Ireland would be something else. Yeah, one day. Yeah, but yeah, the uh, the by the by the time we get to the ending of this film, it's the ending sits pretty heavy. Yeah, like, and I. I found myself, it was one of those films that kind of sat with me. And then you were kind of reading up on some things throughout the week that kind of solidified it even more as being just an incredible film. Yeah. And some really great interpretations and insights coming out of it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I love this one. And we're not like Martin McDonough, like stands. We haven't seen in Bruges. We haven't seen seven psychopath, seven psychopaths. And I have a complicated feeling about three billboards like I, mm-hmm. I thought it was phenomenally made and acted and I loved it when I was watching it but I didn't quite know how I felt about what happened in it yeah um but this blew me away I just loved yeah. it and the animals animals were great there are donkeys and cows and ponies and dogs and they're all so cute yeah give that donkey an Oscar please Jenny 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 the donkey um I have a great piece of trivia for you Mm -hmm. so barry keoghan and colin farrell lived in the same apartment while they were shooting in ireland and keoghan has said that he drove farrell crazy by leaving messes around and eating all of farrell's favorite cereal (laughs) man barry keoghan just seems like such a shyster (laughs) (laughs) i feel like they have a really cute like friendship but like a mentor mentee friendship as well They've been in three movies together now. Mm, so this killing of a sacred deer. What's the other one? The Batman. Oh yeah. Yeah, they have. That's but great. in that one, how much were they in it together? Not, not. Yeah. But still. But they, yeah. Wow. Package deal. <laughs> Maybe he has a, Colin Farrell has a clause in his contract. Barry's coming. <laughs> yeah. Barry's coming with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I quite like Barry Keegan. Like everything I've seen him in, I've been quite enamored with him. Um, I really liked him in the green Knight. Uh, he's yeah. fine in eternals. Like, well, he's good in eternals. Eternals is fine. Yeah. Um, clean of a sacred deer. Phenomenal. Yeah. So icky. The fact that he's going to be playing a key role in the Batman franchise the robert pattinson batman (laughs) franchise is very exciting to me um i think the last thought that i had coming out of this was that i am really looking forward to watching this again specifically watching it again with subtitles yes because those thick irish accents i mean i always watched the british office with subtitles because there's just so the that's where it started for me that's where using subtitles started for me yeah me too (laughs) and then they never quite went away because there's just some shorthand and slang and just the pace of which they talk. It's so quick that you just miss some things. Yeah. Where if you'd seen it in writing, it might have made sense. Yes. Or it might not have. Mm-hmm. But it, it might have. Yeah. I, um, I'm not proud of this. Oh. But I don't know if you were there or not or if you were in the bathroom. But I said very loudly when we were standing outside of the theater, kind of like just chatting with Ashley and Perry and talking about the movie. And you went pee at some point. I just said, I'm so excited to talk about this when there aren't old ladies talking very loudly. (laughs) (laughs) But they were just right nearby. Damn. Yeah, I missed that. (laughs) 
And I'm like, oh, man, that might have been too rude. That might have been too passive aggressive. I maybe should have just gone over to them and been like, hey, I know you're enjoying this, but you're being really loud. I don't know. How do you tell old ladies to shut up nicely? You give them hard candies. <laughs> I have a Werther's original in my pocket. Yeah. Maybe maybe five. <laughs> All at once. <laughs> All at once. Yeah, that was um not my finest moment, but I was very frustrated. Yes. Uh, so. But apologies all around. Yeah, that's okay. You're you're learning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. I'm growing. Yeah. Say la vie. Say la vie. Um. Yeah. Absolutely love this. I, I love it even more after talking about it. Can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, I agree. How did the Banshees of Inisherin make you feel? Blissfully sad. <laughs> <laughs> um. And it made me feel like I really want to go to Ireland one day. Mm. The I'm shores. A- Oh, the shores. <laughs> I was really hoping we would make it through the episode without one of without, us trying to do without, an Irish without accent. Without being disrespectful. Yeah. Um, but we didn't. We didn't manage. So, <laughs> yes. How did it make me feel? It made me grateful for therapy. Yeah. It made me very ready to make Colin Farrell my most watched actor of the year. Come on. And it gave me a deep desire to rewatch Killing of a Sacred Deer. Because I really like that movie. That made that movie made me feel so icky, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. I want to watch. I really like to watch in Bruges, and if we watch Killing of a Sacred Deer, or if we ever watch, did we watch that this year? If we did not, when we had a podcast. Hmm. But I'm more so thinking, will it count as overtaking? Oh, great question. Casey Affleck. We'll look into it. Yeah. We'll get back to you. We'll report back. I'm sure all of you are so keen to know if Colin Farrell wins, but, (laughs) you know. All right. Next film. I picked my mystery pick. I picked Perfect Blue, 1997 film, crime, drama, animation. It was directed by Satoshi Kon. Um, He's the late Satoshi Kon. R.I.P. Yeah. That's sad. Written by Sadayuki Murai and based on a novel by Yoshikazu Takechu. Uh, it is starring Junko Iwa as Mima and Rika Matsumoto as Rumi. And the synopsis for this one is a pop singer gives up her career to become an actress, but she slowly goes insane when she starts being stalked by an obsessed fan and what seems to be a ghost of her past. Mm. This film has been like on my radar for a while and so many people love it so much. Yeah. And it was playing at Metro and we really wanted to go um, just in the last couple months or so. But it was a school night and... Late. Yeah, I think it was like a 9.30 show. And even though it's quite a short movie, Metro is about a half hour drive away from us. Yeah. And I think in the end, we were just like, it's on Shutter. We would love to see it in the theater, but just based on the night and the time, we're not going to. So I've been wanting to watch it since then. So I picked it. What do you think of Perfect Blue? I'm kind of in the boat of I did not know anything about it. I mean, I when I just hear the name Perfect Blue, I just think of that surfing movie, like Blue Crush or whatever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, very different. But I, yeah, I agree. I also heard that it was very highly regarded. And that people, yeah, people lose their minds about this movie. They're like, oh, I've seen Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue is so good. Who have you heard say that? Oh, man, so many people. Wow. Um, <laughs> They're just like running around being like, have you seen Perfect Blue? Have you seen Perfect Blue? Like, No, I, I, I haven't, but I'm just in line at Tim Hortons right now. Um, um, the first thing that stuck out for me 
plot aside was just the beautiful art direction. And what mm. I was like, what specifically caught my eye was actually all of the background elements, like mm-hmm. all the static stuff. Because mm-hmm. in animation, especially in in uh, anime animation, is that everything in the background is kind of static, painted mm. elements. And then the things that actually animate um, just have, they're, they, they're, <laughs> they're more animated. <laughs> um, but everything in the background just had this really gorgeous painted look. Yeah. And very detailed, like hyper detailed on some of the stuff. But also it chose moments to be not hyper detailed. Like there's a lot of crowd shots where there's nobody has faces. But that's on purpose. Yeah. Like to further, I think, A, the unsettling vibe of the film. Mm -hmm. And B, I think that has some thematic resonance by by the ending of the film. Yeah. I also thought on that note, I didn't notice the animation as much which makes sense because of just how visual you are but i did notice how it seemed filmed like it had Mm. panning shots and it had zoom ins and not that i'm saying animated films don't typically have that but it's very cinematic yeah like it almost felt it doesn't look rotoscoped at all but it almost felt more like a rotoscoped film where Mm. it's a film that's been shot and then animated after yeah like it just felt so impressively intentional in how it was animated to feel cinematic. That really blew me away. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. There was just like this sort of filmed realism to it that even added, that added an extra element to once the film starts getting more surreal. Yeah. Yeah. So a key part of this film is stalking stalking really gets me there's something about it that just burrows in my mind and i get very disturbed i think it's that idea of being watched and not knowing it it's just it's so out of your control yeah and there's i mean there's steps you can take to avoid it but you don't even necessarily know if you've gotten away from it well it's that dual thing in so many of of the like very unsettling depictions of stalking there's a degree to which you drive yourself like the person being stalked is questioning their own own reality right like am i imagining this or is this really happening and it becomes that as it's depicted in film like i i don't have experiences with this thank goodness um but as the depictions that have really gotten to me, this sense of I could be being watched at any time mm-hmm. um, or like finally feeling like you've had a moment of privacy and then learning that you had, you were being watched. And I think it breaks that illusion that we have control over these things. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know at the end of the day that if someone wants to do something, they're going to do something. Yeah. And we have all these illusions we create of safety and control. And yeah, this just this just gets to me. There was a, a podcast season of Unraveled on on a stalking, and it is one of the most the times I've been the most disturbed by listening to something. Yeah, and I think that that is specific to me. So I've heard people talk about this as such a horrifying film, mm-hmm. and I get it, but I don't necessarily think that would translate for everyone. Well, and it's just like it's this whole piece about safety and privacy right Mm -hmm. um and not just necessarily you know we all like to think that our most safe and most private place that we have is our homes and that we're kind of 
untouchable and unseen in our homes if we want to be. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other part of it where there's safety and privacy in the digital space. And, mm -hmm. And because this came out in 1997, we're kind of very early internet, pre social media, but still there's start, it's starting to weave in this idea of people can take on personas of other people that already exist or leverage personalities or celebrities and their voices to say things mm, mm -hmm. and the danger in that and how that can really mess with perception of who people are. And yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. It is. The internet is very scary. It is. And this is kind of, this film is coming on the cusp of that, right? Like yeah. part of the film is that Mima doesn't, like she doesn't even know what the internet is. Yeah. And that naivety in like, thinking, oh, this is so cool and I have this fan and, you know, it takes a, a dark turn as she starts to realize like to what extent the internet can be used in other ways than what she initially thinks. Yeah, it's a, it's a deeply unsettling movie. And then it goes beyond that to become surreal. Yeah, there's kind of there's kind of a point in the film where it kicks in and you just kind of start feeling like you're slowly falling down a rabbit hole. And the narrative for me was starting to become unreliable. Yeah. Which is, which is okay. Mm -hmm. But, but a thing for me in this film was that it kind of lost me along the way. Like I kind of needed to debrief with you at the end of like, this is what I think I understood <laughs> is that what you got from that too. And that, that that's totally hundred percent, probably a me thing, but it, it did lose me. And I was unsure of what was going on or what the narrative was at certain points. It, yeah, it's interesting because to me, that's when I started to really, really enjoy the film. Yeah, that's when it kind of kicked into full gear. Once it started to really dive into this nightmare, dreamscape, surreal, surrealism. That's like evocative of like Lynchian films, particularly Mulholland Drive. Mm -hmm. um, the degree to which something like is just unsettling, even though it's kind of benign. Yeah. Although there's some stuff in this film that certainly is not benign and is just deeply upsetting. Yes. Um. There's a lot of leveraging, not leveraging, sorry. There's a lot of um, suggestion that Darren Aronofsky has stolen elements from this film <laughs> and put it into his films. Um, I'm not as enamored with his work as I am with David Lynch's. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, I, I love a nightmare. I love a surrealism. And when it really kicked into that, it made me excited to eventually go back and rewatch this because I bet it's surreal in elements before that you don't see until you know later that this actually might not be reality. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that this would benefit from a second watch. I have me. a feeling I'm going to like it more. Mm -hmm. It's, and those are my favorite films. The ones that every time you revisit them, you like them more. Yeah. And I think this is one that potentially can become much more of a favorite on a revisit. And I want to revisit it. Yeah. The last section of the film blew me away. Yeah. It was it's so upsetting. Yeah. It was yeah, it was very upsetting. It gets very dark. Um and it's yeah, like I said, I, I just kind of liken it to that falling down the rabbit hole and things you're questioning if things are real and what yeah, what is real and it's just this world 
of unknowns and fear and misdirection, mm-hmm. which is super compelling. Um, and yeah, I think revisiting it with the knowledge that I have now post film will make it much better and a little bit clearer. <laughs> but you still liked it on a first watch? I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes you just, sometimes for me, I'm in this mood when I'm watching movies where I kind of need, I need to have it spelled out for me a little mm. bit. And that's kind of very teenage me thinking. And you've brought this up too about when you watch films with your students of just like things need to be literal. They yeah. can't be too heady or yeah. it's dumb or it doesn't make yeah. sense. The movie ends and they're like, what? What even was it? <laughs> and they go stuff like that. What? <laughs> all of my students sound exactly like that. Oh, what? <laughs> they're all surfers from California. Yeah. I actually teach in Los Angeles, if you didn't know. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I did feel like I understood the film, and so I was able to clarify it for you. Yeah, which uh, is good. Yeah, respect. How did Perfect Blue make you feel? Like I said, a bit befuddled, mm-hmm. but and uncomfortable at parts. There was some pretty pretty upsetting stuff throughout the film, mm-hmm. but totally engaged. I was there for the ride the whole time. What about you? It made me feel really icky. Yeah, which I love. Blue. And a little loopy. Like there's a portion in the film where I'm just like, when I finally caught on to what was going on, I just felt. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have a word for it, but I really liked that feeling. Yeah. Um, So I am excited to revisit it again because I know so many people, this is a favorite film and it didn't quite get there for me this time, Mm -hmm. but I think it might. I think it might one day. Nice. And I love that about film. Yeah. All those people giving After Sun seven out of tens. I'm trying to f- trust that when they watch it a second time, it'll become a 10 out of 10. Yeah. You got to wise up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. Next film was our second theater going experience this week. We saw the 2002 horror thriller, The Menu. It was directed by Mark Mylod. McCl- Written by Seth Reese and Will Tracy. It stars Ray Fiennes as Chef Slowick, Anya Taylor-Joy as Margot, Nicholas Holt as Tyler, and Hong Chow as Elsa. The synopsis is, a young couple travels to a remote island to eat at an, at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. Um, yeah, before we dive into it, I want to know what you think, but I want you to start with audience of this one (laughs) (laughs) yes so we saw this on an advanced screening night i mean just theaters play the movies on the thursday before they officially come out and i was actually the one who's like hey do you want to go see the menu tomorrow because i know there's a bunch of things coming up that we want to see and i felt that if we didn't see this one right away we wouldn't see it Mm-hmm. Because there's other things we want to see more, but they're not out yet. So we ended up moving seats a couple times because. How many times did we move seats? Three. Three times? Because some people sat down in front of us and the seats at this particular theater aren't staggered very well. And I just couldn't. It's just that the person in front of us, their head was in my way because I'm quite short. 
Um, so that nothing against those people. We were just like, ah, let's move over a couple of seats so that I can see the screen. Uh, and then a couple people came in. And they came in late. The movie had already started. Mm-hmm. Two people. And one of them, within like a couple minutes of sitting down, movie has already started, is just opening up their phone and just like looking at calendar, looking at Instagram, looking at text, not doing anything, just refreshing and then closing it. Mm-hmm. So she does it once and I kind of think, you know. Just got situated. Maybe yeah. Just maybe, catching up on some stuff. Yeah. That's fine. Good to go. But then not even five minutes later again. And it's the same thing. It's just like open calendar, open text, open Instagram, refresh, refresh, close. And I was like, okay, this is your last chance. (laughs) And then not even five minutes later, a third time. So I turned to you and I said, this is going to drive me nuts. We need to move. Yeah, it was. It was brutal. They were right in our eye line. And I'm like, I will not be able to focus on the film with this like bright light and this like chaotic movement of like opening and closing apps. So we moved. And not to mention, every time we move, we're playing with fire because it's assigned seating. Everywhere is assigned. Unless you go to Metro, everywhere is assigned seating now. Yeah. But the we were like 15 minutes into the movie. So I was like, I think we're good. We're good. Uh, so we, yeah, we left. But. <laughs> I said something. I just, as we walked past, I just leaned down and I said, I just want to let you know that you being on your phone is distracting to all the people sitting behind you. I think it's that all you being on your phone so much is distracting to all the people sitting behind you. And then we just moved. Maybe the stink eye. Oh, big stink eye. And <laughs> oh, man. When the movie was done, the person that was with the person who was on their phone just beelined it out of the theater oh, like, so fast. Like freaking two car lengths ahead of them. Yeah, like cartoon, like speedy legs, puff of smoke behind them. Yeah. Because they, they were out of there so fast. And then the person who had been on their phone like saw me and, and stared daggers at me again. And I just thought, you know, I'm not shouting at you to get off your phone. I, I took the initiative to move because it was going to distract me. Mm-hmm. But I also just feel like reminding people about the social contract of movie theaters yeah. is, you know, not not the worst thing. And I feel like I do it as respectfully as possible. Yeah. I said, hey, I, like, I just want to let you know that I'm moving because you're on your phone. Yeah. So think about that. And I don't know. We moved. So I don't know if that person was on their phone the rest of the movie. Possibly. Yeah. Um, There was also somebody in the theater who loved the movie. Man, freaking the Joker was in the film with us here. Yeah. Like there would be a joke, which was funny. Yes. And it would just be like, bah! Uh, so I'm very happy for that person that they loved the movie so much. That didn't bother me. I thought like it just, it made me laugh. Yeah. Like, wow, this fella really loves this movie. Lukewarm jokes. And this guy, it's like the funniest stuff he's ever heard. (laughs) So I am so thrilled for that person to have had such a good time at the theater. So good. Also, we had a very strange experience pre-movie with there being like literally 10 minutes of commercials. Yeah. And we go to a lot of movies and we go to a lot of movies at Cineplex and this has never happened. Yeah. So the film was supposed to start at 8.15. Yeah. There were commercials, like the lights dimmed at 8.15 and then there were just commercials and some of which repeated. There were multiple Mm -hmm. of the same commercial. Those ended at about 8.25-ish. And then we had another 10 minutes of trailers. 
one trailer of which <laughs> oh my goodness like the menu was not in 3d nor should it be but they put a 3d trailer for avatar 2 on this yeah and it's just blurry and shaky <laughs> and should be in 3d but it looks like shit and it hurts your eyes yeah i am um, for the first time ever in my life i recorded something in the movie theater so i was on my phone um but I recorded a, a snippet of that trailer because I was like, this is such balls. Like, this is just, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Somebody fell asleep at the wheel with... Putting together the pre-roll for yeah, this Yeah, that was... It, it honestly, it impacted my viewing experience, I think. I think I was just like, when is this movie going to start? Why am I seeing this Coca-Cola ad for like the fourth time? You know, like, why is there a 3D trailer on a non-3D movie? I think it is just... It was totally nuts to me that this this was a film that was supposed to start at eight fifteen, and the f- the film didn't actually start until like eight thirty seven. Yeah, that seems extreme. Yeah, <laughs> very annoying. Disliked. So, piss audience. Piss pre roll. Piss 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 pre roll. Let's talk about the movie. Thank you all for indulging our um, gripes about the theater. Yeah. So the movie. Tell me about it. What do you think? I liked it enough. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. I liked it a little bit more than you, I think. Yes. So I think Triangle of Sadness got to me first. Yeah. Which is that this movie is exploring some similar ideas as Triangle of Sadness. But I liked it in Triangle of Sadness more. Yeah, I I heard, and I don't have the facts in front of me, but I heard that this film was trying to get made even like pre-pandemic. Yeah, I think it was one of those, um, what do they call it? That like list of scripts. That was just kind of floating around. Oh, there's like a list. It's like the, the black list of scripts or something. <laughs> I, have, I don't know. I haven't heard of this. What? You haven't? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called the blacklist. It's the uh, like the best unproduced scripts. So it's. It's like like people are interested in it, but nobody's picked it up. But it's like on the top of the stack. The pile. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this was one of them. It got me thinking about films that are picked up by directors based on other people's scripts and they kind of change hands. I believe this script, like the who the director was, changed hands a couple times. Mm. And what the difference is between that and somebody who, like, the scriptwriter and director were chosen before the script was even written. And there's a collaboration from the get-go. Right. Or where the director is the scriptwriter. Yeah. What the difference is with that, like, it's almost like director for hire as yeah. opposed to... And I'm sure that's not... I'm sure that's really unfair of me to say and that there's much more nuance to it than that. There's a degree to which this film feels like it could have been made by anyone. Yeah, I agree. And so it reminded me a lot, like films that it kind of aligned with for me, where it would be like, if you liked this, you'd probably like the menu were like escape room, which honestly I really like Mm -hmm. Uh, ready or not. You're next of those of those, including the menu. I like you're next the best. Mm -hmm. I really like that film, but where it's kind of just a, I've heard some comparison to knives out Mm. where it's an accessible film that many people 
can watch. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be any more than that, but I kind of had thought it would be. Do you know what you kind of thought it would be without getting spoilery? It's not even that it's not that. I guess I just thought it would be more of a film and less of a concept. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. No, I think I got it. And I think you're right. Like, I feel it coming out the same year as Triangle of Sadness already set itself up for being compared to it, even mm-hmm. though it probably had no idea necessarily because it, the script's been floating around for so long. I love that we're talking about the film as an entity. <laughs> the menu had no idea Triangle of yeah. Sadness was going to edge its way yeah. in. Um. But yeah, like I feel like Triangle of Sadness kind of leans hard into the social commentary aspect in a in a very smart and clever way. And this just kind of, I don't know, leverages it in a less effective way. But it's fun and it's it's stylish. Yeah. And also I can watch Ray Fiennes just deliver monologues all day. Oh, everyone, everyone was great. Like, Nicholas Holt is so hateable in it. Yeah. So hateable. Anya Taylor-Joy is not my favorite I've ever seen her in, but she does well with what she's given. I actually really like the character of Elsa by Hong Chao. Yeah. She was actually probably my favorite. Yeah. And I thought she was the funniest. Like, some of her moments I thought were so hilarious and were the more subtle class commentary that I actually liked better um, than kind of more of the overarching things going on. But where it gets very like ready or not your next escape room is that there's like a bunch of cast of characters and they all have their little things and they're like their own punctuated jokes. And you're all here for a reason. And there's a little less fluidity to the film then. Um, Something that I came away thinking is it actually ended up being darker than I expected it to be. But because it went darker it then didn't go as dark as I needed it to go. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. It kind of like it, it starts to go and then it restrains itself. Um, In the favor of almost kind of levity. Yes. And I feel like it could have gone down the route, the route of like, uh, like the film, the platform. Yeah. Yeah. Like this. So this is listed as like a comedy horror thriller. First of all, I don't really think it's horror. Um, but I didn't want it to be comedy. Yeah. That's my problem. It's not the film's problem. Mm. The other thing is, and this is what I was starting to speak to with Blood Simple, is we're just dropped into this scenario with these characters and we never really get to know the characters. Like I was really confused about the relationship between Tyler and Margot for most of the film. And then when they try and expand on that, I just felt like it was too shoehorned in mm-hmm. and it wasn't developed and it didn't ring true to me for what the dynamic had kind of hinted at prior. And I just, you know, I, to really care about Margot as our protagonist, I needed more. I needed to know more about who she was and what her life was to, to care at all about what's going on here. Well, and this is, again, where maybe the unfair comparison to Triangle of Sadness comes in because we get that. There. There's a whole third, first third of the film is about getting to know the characters. Really, but I even think to like a John Carpenter's Halloween, which doesn't spend a ton of time introducing Laurie Strode, 
but spends enough time pre-Michael Myers with Lori that we get a sense of what her personality is, what her priorities are, what her connection to her friends are, without going as much into it as, say, like the Black Phone does with mm-hmm. like the backstory of its characters. Halloween is like that sweet spot when the film that's not the primary goal of the film, but it does give you enough to allow you to care about the character. Yeah. And, and you know, like... I'm not going to generalize and say like this doesn't work, but I can see the intention here was to just dive right into the the meat and the potatoes, no pun intended, of <laughs> what the film is about without having all of that characterization lead up. Mm-hmm. But what you end up doing is slowing down the film during the meat and potatoes to backfill with character mm-hmm. story. And they try and do it with Chef Slowick too, like give him some backstory and motivation in like the last order of the film in a way that never really quite landed for me yeah it's it's not it's not a big enough reveal it's just kind of like oh this is a suggestion yeah <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of i would actually say the same with Margot. like there's this moment where chef slowick says something to her which gives a little bit more background into where she's come from but it's more just like it's just a little suggestion a little whisper it's just a little whisper yeah and I think that makes this potentially a very ex- accessible film and a very approachable film. Yeah. But it was one that just, it's not going to stick with me and I don't need to revisit it. Mm. Like when I see a film like Banshees of Inishirin, I go away being like, I want to watch it with this person, this person, this person, and this person and see how they react to it. And this, yeah. I was like, like s- several people have asked us, how was the menu? And I'm like, eh, it's worth seeing. Yeah. But I'm not going to go with you. Yeah. Whereas like Banshees, I'd be like, do you want to see it? I'll go see it with you. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, just to go on a bit of a tangent and I've brought this up a few times on the show. It's just like how incredible 2022 has been for not just movies, but original storytelling, Mm -hmm. not based off of a larger property or IP. Mm. The unique stories that have been told in some we've seen some of our favorite movies of all time this year. I know. And it's the year we start a podcast. So people are like, what, every movie is your favorite? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, no, 2022 is just like killing it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I can't even believe we're kind of it it almost feels like what I must it must have felt like during the 80s when so Mm. many iconic films were coming out during that time. It's it's been such a treat. I can't even believe it. But then the difficulty becomes Maybe we would have liked, or maybe I, because you liked The Menu more than me, maybe I would have liked a film like The Menu more in a year where it's got less competition. Where when I'm looking Mm -hmm. at all of the phenomenal films I've seen this year, it just doesn't even crack the top 50. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's, I've seen people who, like people who we align with in film taste, Mm -hmm. hate this. Like I didn't hate it. I was like, I'm glad I saw it. I enjoyed it. It didn't stick with me. Yeah. I'd hoped I would like it more than I did, which very, makes it a little disappointing. Yeah, it's very like middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah. Solid seven out of 10 for me. But we have a friend who 2.5 out of five. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are. And, and we'd like to talk about why 2.5. Um, yeah. And I've seen people give it five out of five. Yeah. I mean, and, and I wonder if those people have seen Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> Some of them have. I know it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think I think the only thing that puts it a little bit higher in liking it for me over you is just how much fun I had with it. Like, I really enjoyed the experience of watching it. 
Do you and... know why I had less fun with it? Because mm. the trailer gave so much away and I'd seen the trailer 10 million times. Mm. I, I genuinely think if I hadn't seen the trailer, I would have liked the movie more. That's kind of been the downside of 2022 that I found is that they push a lot of the same movies and you see a lot of the trailers for the same movies. Even when better movies are coming out, they don't get the same amount of trailer play leading up, I find. I have seen the trailer for The Menu so, so many times. I mean, and granted, we go to the movies a lot. Yeah. But I, you know, once I saw it once, I'm like, well, I'm not going to, not like with Nope where we were going out of our way not to watch the trailer because I didn't know anything about it. So I just saw the trailer one day. But the trailer gives a lot away, gives some of the best jokes away. You can kind of figure out what's going to happen based on watching the trailer. And I will say there's more to it than the trailer, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. But some of the funniest moments are in the trailer. Yeah. I in a way with like with Banshees, there are some really funny moments in the trailer, but there's so much more than just the trailer <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that my closing thought on this is just echoing what you said. If you like movies like Escape Room, like Ready or Not, then for sure go see this. Because mm -hmm. I think there's fun to be had here. Mm -hmm. And there's the 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 characters are just so whatever that you can go along with the story just being okay mm -hmm. and still have a bit of a romp. But yeah, it's not the, it's not, I agree. It's not the greatest thing that I've seen this year and it has some really tough co competition. And it doesn't have to be. No. Like I feel like January is typically known as the movie, the movie slump where just kind of studios put out the worst shit that they have in January. I feel like this could have been a, a bright spot <laughs> in January. Mm -hmm. um, but it came out in 2022. So it's a bit of a stinky spot. It's a bit of a lukewarm spot. Yeah, a warm spot. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> Let's not. Uh, okay. How did the menu make you feel? So it made me feel along for the ride, and the ride was pretty enjoyable. But when I got out of the car, I was really ready to get out of the car, and I never wanted to get into that car again. <sighs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I was I was along for the ride, and I was intrigued by everything that was going on. But it's a lukewarm spot for me. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've been planning to watch this for okay, a this while. Okay, this has been a long time coming. We watched one of my childhood favorite horror movies, Urban Legend, 1998, horror mystery thriller. It's generous. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Jamie Blanks and written by Silvio Horta. Stars Alicia Witt as Natalie Simon. Rebecca Gayhart as Brenda Bates. Bates, classic. Jared Leto as Paul Gardner and Loretta Devine as Reese Wilson and some Joshua Jackson in there as well. Oh, yeah. Pacey. Synopsis. A college student suspects a series of bizarre deaths are connected to certain urban legends. Gorgeous. Yeah. So this movie, a little bit of backstory. I loved this movie as a kid. I have seen it so many times and discovered a couple months ago that our friend Danielle really likes it, too. It is an objectively bad movie, mm -hmm. but I found out that she unabashedly loves it the way that I unabashedly love it. And so we set in motion a plan to watch it, the four of us, um, Danielle and her partner, Jake, and then the two of us. And 
it it keep it kept getting delayed. Um, we kept having to like reschedule and and cancel, and we finally finally, finally were able to watch Urban Legend together. And I have to give a shout out to the fact that they made us pizza. Oh, some of the best pizza I've ever I've had. ever had in my life with their pizza oven. It was so delicious. Like it, yeah. So what a treat to get to have amazing, delicious, four different kinds of pizza and watch Urban Legend. So um, you had never seen this, which I did not believe. I'm like, how have I never shown you this? I, I, yeah. Probably because it is legitimately objective. I almost bad. felt like I had seen it because you had talked about loving it so much, <laughs> like through, so many times throughout our relationship. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've probably watched this with you. Never, yeah, I've we never haven't. Seen it. Um, I have it on DVD. We watched it on DVD. It did jump at one point. <laughs> it did, yeah, there was a moment where we thought maybe we were hooped. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've clearly watched the DVD so many times. Um, but finally, you got to watch Urban Legend. The four of us got to watch it together. What did you think of it? I think that if you're coming into watching Urban Legend, I was going to say for the first time, but if you're revisiting it at all now, the way to watch it is to watch it with friends. Oh, yeah. Especially friends where you're all content to kind of roast the movie as you're watching it that's kind of the best way to watch it and that's why you do that at home and not at the movie theater yeah yes correct old ladies <laughs> um I, I what i loved about this film was that it is really ridiculous and it takes itself pretty seriously which is what makes it funny mm-hmm and it's just very much trying to cash in on that mid to late 90s trend that scream and I, I know what you did yeah. last summer is like riding that wave. It's a pretty blatant ripoff of scream, but not even an iota as good. Yeah. But I, I think that this is a really good concept, though. Yeah. Like, it gives me very like scary stories to tell in the dark or I think you even mentioned like, are you afraid of the dark? Oh, no, no, no. Let me take you back. Okay, yeah, please. I was a child. Happened to a friend of, a friend <laughs> of mine. And I loved freaky stories. If you were of a certain age and you're Canadian, then you know it. You know, is it Larry? And Maurice? Larry and Maurice. If you don't know this, if you've never heard of freaky stories, I implore you, we'll put it in the show notes, a clip to the theme song, some of the best music ever made. It's up there with the Rugrats theme song. Like, Freaky Stories and Rugrats theme songs? I didn't know you loved the Rugrats theme song so much. Oh, yeah. When we were in a band, I really wanted to start all of our shows with, like, a riff, like a little piano riff of, uh, like, 90s theme songs. So, like, Rugrats, Freaky Stories, um... Rocco's Modern Life, like all of it. That's I great. wanted. I thought it would be really fun. I remember this now. That's yeah. great. Great idea. We should start our podcast <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I loved Freaky Stories, and I I liked it the way I liked Are You Afraid of the Dark, but it was a little bit more fun and a little less scary, but it still had that icky quality to it. And Freaky Stories was just this animated um, series of like short urban legends yeah and they were gross Mm -hmm. and they were twisty and they were you know cut between with this cockroach and maggot like puppeteer 
inserts where they would like introduce the stories at a restaurant. Yeah. It was a whole thing. And I really liked it. And that kind of started, I had an obsession with urban legends. Like I have up in, in our library, the encyclopedia of urban legends, the big book of urban legends, and they are like thick daddies. Mm -hmm. I've read them multiple times. They're great. And then I came across this movie. I also came across a movie that I kept getting, I like in my adulthood, I'm getting confused with urban legend. But when we watched it, I was like, oh, it wasn't this other movie. <laughs> I've kind of like blurred them together and it's called Campfire Tales, which has an even worse rating on IMDb and Letterboxd. So it's probably horrible, but I would like to watch it. And that one is anthology. It's just a series of urban legends mm. and there's people around a campfire telling tales. So very, are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. I also became obsessed with like Snopes.com mm. where you could like go and look up if something was true or not. This was my childhood. But when I look at it now, I watched Urban Legend because I was obsessed with Urban Legends, but I think it might have been the first slasher film I ever saw. Oh, interesting. Because I would have seen it when I was like eight years old. Mm. And it's not particularly scary, but to an eight-year-old. Yeah. And it's not particularly good. It's full of plot holes. The dialogue is terrible. Mm -hmm. The reveals are not particularly smart. But to an eight-year-old who's never seen a slasher film before. Mm-hmm this like pseudo scream is a pretty good starting point. And so I just have this love for it while I love that I can make fun of it now too. It's so great. Cause like, I know all of that stuff about you and your love for urban legends and Frankie stories and you, and that you really liked this movie and that it freaked you out as a kid. <laughs> um, it just, it, it brings me a lot of joy and it brought me a lot of joy that we were watching this and how excited you were <laughs> to revisit it. The opening sequence is like actually pretty good though, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it, it has some really like scary stories to tell in the dark vibe, like that the film of that was okay. It had some creepy stuff in it. Um, and I feel like there's elements of that here, like the mm -hmm. urban legends it chooses to lean into even though there's not many. Yeah, unfortunately. In <laughs> retrospect, could have used more urban legend. Um, but it is called urban legend, so we're lucky we got more than one. Well, <laughs> it is an urban legend. The, the whole film. Yeah. Uh, yes. I think that's what it's trying to go for. Oh, man, this is deep. <laughs> so Did you deep. like it? Have I asked you what you thought of it? Um. Yeah. No, I liked it. I like... I liked its ridiculousness. I liked how kind of goofy cheese ball it was. But also, I th I feel like it has a really good core concept and a yeah. really good idea. And some of the things throughout it are really well executed. They should reboot it. Well, I was kind of thinking, I feel, I was kind of thinking that there's a much gorier version of this that would have been made if it was, if it had come out like peak torture porn mm. uh, era. Yeah, it's a little early for that. Like if it can't, yeah, if it came out around the time of when all the Saw movies were really hot. And like hostile and stuff like that. I feel like there's a, a very gory version of this film that would have come out. But then I probably wouldn't have liked it as an eight year old. Yeah. And this I do think started me on my horror movie journey. Whereas before it was like, are you afraid of the dark freaky stories? A little bit of Goosebumps. Goosebumps was kind of not scary enough for me. Um, I liked scary stories to tell in the dark, the books. I liked freaky, uh, not freaky, sorry, um, Fear Street, the books. Right. Goosebumps again, not scary enough. So I, like I've read a handful of them, but I I just went straight to Fear Street. Mm -hmm. I was ready. That's R.L. Stein too, right? Yeah, but like for the teens. 
Whereas I feel like Are You Afraid of the Dark is kind of the same thing. It's a little scarier than Goosebumps for a little bit of an older audience. Goosebumps is more like ooey gooey monster stuff. Yeah. And Are You We've Afraid of the Dark? We've talked about this. I yeah. don't really care for the monster stuff. Yeah. I like the ghosts and the killers and the stalkers and the possessions and the Are You houses. Afraid of the Dark's a little bit more heady. It's a little yeah. more elevated. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just too smart for Goosebumps. <laughs> That theme I was song, an eight, I was an eight-year-old being like, I'm just a little too smart for Goosebumps. But that theme song to the Goosebumps. How's goosebumps, it go? It's like... Oh, but also, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Ooh. Oh, okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> we will post clips to all of these for those of you who haven't seen them. But fair warning, the intro to Are You Afraid of the Dark is genuinely really scary. Yeah. It's Remember good. when it would kick in as a, when I was a kid and I used to watch it? I loved the show, but every time that intro played, oh, give me the chili willies. The just empty swing. Ah. And like the rocking The creaking boat. door. Ooh. Yeah. Love it. Um, but I just, I have to appreciate this film for getting me started on my horror journey, even though it's pretty bad. Like it's, it's bad. It's, it's objectively bad, but it's really good in my heart. Yeah. Like it's for me, having seen it for the first time now. I don't know how often I would revisit this. Me neither. But I am glad that I saw it. Yeah, it's a. It was an old DVD. It had like the yellow subtitles, which we made our friends take up use. half the screen. Our our friends don't. Uh, they they don't use subtitles, but I I really liked. Jake said, "I've heard once you go subtitles, you never go back." It's true. That's true. So we're uh, we're on that mission. Couple fun pieces of trivia. It was filmed at the University of Toronto. Oh, no way. Yeah. It's great. So while we were watching it, um, Danielle asked, is this filmed at a real university? And I was like, I don't think so. But yeah, it was. University of Toronto. There you go. Um, also, the Latin motto of the university in the film, what was the university called? I don't even remember. In translated, like translated to English, their motto is the best friend did it. What? Like, That's silly. <laughs> Oh, hold on. Sorry. I was like, the actual motto no, no, of no, the no. school. I was like. <laughs> no, not of the University of Toronto. The like motto of. I was like, well, the I University thought that was of Toronto, clever. the best friend the did best it. The best friend did it. No, it's meant to be like a like riff on urban legends. That's great. Um, That's fun. Also, Jared Leto, Morbius himself, <laughs> hates this film, has disowned it, and refuses to talk about it in interviews. I think that guy can frick off and go yeah. pee-pee-poo-poo somewhere else. You're kidding me? This is the worst film you've done? You're embarrassed about this film? <laughs> you should just be embarrassed about your life, my guy. Yeah. Uh, but here's a piece of trivia that I think is quite mean that I found on IMDb Trivia. Oh no. I'm going to read it to you in quotes. Okay. While Snopes existed at the time of the film's release... It's so widely used now that urban legends tend to have a much shorter shelf life as a single person in a group of friends doing a Google search can stop a legend in its tracks. The classic decades old legends are believed by approximately nobody nowadays. This film's plot is outdated as a result. Heavens. <laughs> Zero of seven people found that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, now zero of nine found that interesting. So that's mean. And also, were you around during the COVID pandemic? <laughs> you think people don't believe legends? Let me tell you. Real stinky poo-poo, that one. Real stinky poo-poo. I love urban legends. I love everything about them. 
I love creepy pastas. I'm a hot topic girl. What can I say? And I love this film, even though it's so bad. Thank you for watching it with me. Thank you. How did Urban Legend make you feel? It made me feel like I missed out on not being a teen during the mid to late 90s. I feel like it would have been a really fun time to watch films like this, Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, all coming out. It was a bit of a horror renaissance, which was really, really great. And I feel like I missed out on that. Like a bad horror renaissance, but one nonetheless. Yeah. But it also made me feel really happy to not only watch it with the, with our friends, but to finally watch it with you. Because <laughs> I know how <laughs> important this film has been to you. Uh, how does it make you feel? It just gives me so much affection for like the little version of me that was learning to love horror movies. Because mm-hmm. I love them so much. And just makes me want to give little me a hug and be like, you did it. You like, you found good horror movies and you just can't help but like love. It's kind of like Mac and me. Like, right. I I genuinely thought this was a really good movie and I watched it over and over again by myself too. Yeah. And I just have so much affection for that little version of me that loved this movie and how that got me to where I am now. That's so cute. Yeah. Little Kylie. Little Kylie love an urban legend. (laughs) all right let's talk bad dads rad dads bad dads and rad dads i didn't really have any trouble this week i didn't either it's pretty clear cut for me oh okay let's see Ooh. oh who's your bad dad nominee of the week i nominated julian marty from blood simple okay yeah that's a good choice why (laughs) possessive Mm. vengeful rude nice yeah yeah i picked tyler Nicholas Holt from the menu. Yep. Uh, I chose him just because like he's super ignorant, arrogant, selfish, rude. And he's just also at a certain point in this film, he's just ice cold. Yeah. You know what? He, as soon as you said that, I flashed back to something he says to Margot that I just was so angry. Yeah. So yeah, screw this guy. He, Nicholas Holt, like you said, is great in the menu. He is so unlikable. So punchable. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, so... Tyler. Kick rock. Step off. <laughs> um, Rad Dad of the Week. I picked Siobhan from Banshees of Inisher. Yeah. So did I, yeah. Hell yeah. That's great. She is a quintessential Rad Dad. And I know we've troubled over this in the past, and at a later date, maybe we'll talk more about this. But she just does have dad energy to me, not mom energy. Yes. I haven't sussed out what the difference is, but she just feels like a rad dad. It's like this super caring, tough love. Yeah. Yeah. So what I what came up for me with her is that she's really honest, but appropriately honest. Yes. Like there's a point where she recognizes when she needs to pull back or be a little bit more tender with the honesty. Mm. She stands up for other people, but also leads by example and stands up for herself and like doesn't take shit. That was the biggest thing for me is like how caring, protective and smart she is in regards to others, but also applies that to herself. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. She's like the kind of person you want as a therapist. Yeah. Where yeah. like they'll call you on your crap. Like, Patrick is her brother and she loves him and she's protective of him and she's concerned about why this, you know, person who supposedly is her brother's best friend has just like cut him off. But she also tries to respect Combs' decisions and like talk to Patrick about that and 
it's never questioned whether or not she loves Patrick. Mm -hmm. She clearly does and makes that very clear. But she also doesn't unquestioningly just dismiss Comb or what he's doing or saying. Yeah. Right? And she tries to help her brother understand that. She's awesome. Like one of my favorite characters I've seen ever. Yeah. she She's a... If there's a Rad Dad Hall of Fame, she'll be in there. 100%. For the statue. Yeah. So yeah. Siobhan, be our dad. Be our dad. All right. You want to talk about the Rad Wreck of the Week? <laughs> oh my goodness. We knew this was coming. We, we alluded to it in last week's episode and... It for sure is a rad wreck. <laughs> if you've been following along on this podcast journey all the way to episode 39 here, then you know I get crushes. Yeah. And I get crushes hard. And I love, love having a crush. We we were kind of faced with that this week when we went through your YouTube watch later list. Because it kind of chronologically goes through all of your crushes. All my crushes. <laughs> but I've been without a crush in like a really intense way in a while. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, the crushes are all there and they're lingering in the background, but I'm not really focused on anybody right now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but it's happened. But now you are. <laughs> I am. I'm focused. I'm focused on Paul Mescal. And I would also like to apologize to him because for the entirety of our daddy deep dive, we called him Paul Mescal. Yeah. And now that I spend all of my free time watching interviews with him and looking at photos of him, um, I do know that his name is pronounced Paul Mescal. So where this really happened is we watched Normal People. So that's our rad wreck is the show Normal People. And who boy, he is just such a babe in it. He's so babely. I mean, Daisy Edgar Jones is also babely. Normal yep. People is a great show for bisexuals, I would <laughs> say. Uh, so is the fact that Phoebe Bridgers and Paul Mescal are engaged. That's just a bisexual's dream. Um, but Normal People is sad. It's sexy. Yeah. It's introspective. It's beautifully shot. It's well-made. We tore through it. Yeah. We haven't read the book that it's based on, which I know... From what I've heard, it's kind of like a beloved book by people that have read it, but we have not. We've only seen the show, and that's good enough for us. Yeah, highly recommend. Um, it's just it's it's really really great, and we're really into Irish content right now. Apparently, Watch probably it. because of Paul Mescal, but it's like getting kind of bad where Irish slang is starting to work its way into my vernacular a little bit, and I'm whipping it out at work. Oh little, yeah, and. Between Colin Farrell and Paul Mescal, we're just, we're all in for Ireland. Um, so watch Normal People, get a crush on Paul Mescal and or Daisy Edgar Jones, because they're both worthy of it. Then watch all the interviews you can with the two of them on YouTube. Because they're cute as hell. Because they're cute as hell. And then also please watch After Sun and then watch all the interviews that Paul Mescal is doing about After Sun right now. And you'll be where I am. And then listen to our daddy deep dive. And then listen to our daddy deep dive. After Sun. Share it out. Let's spread the Paul Mescal love. Yes, please. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. Until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Let us know when is appropriate to yell at old ladies in the movie theater. 
you can also get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Usernames for those are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. Well, that is going to do it for these two banshees this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie, and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot, and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started <laughs> 